You are listening to Love Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. That's actually a very exciting model for us just because that's really our ultimate goal is to mainstream our participants and athletes and, and not separate them um, so that um, when they when they head out, they're heading out with exactly the, just like you and I. Um, and so it's that's really a phenomenal thing to see. The surfing for special needs kids was um, kind of a new concept at the time and a good friend of mine was working with a lot of kids on the spectrum, autism, Asperger spectrum. And she asked me if I would take a few kids out surfing and I said yes and I enlisted my husband and our son and we took three kids out the first year and then the next year we started expanding the program right away and we went from three to 23 to, gosh, we've had up to 95 kids and about 230 volunteers, and once you do it, you're pretty hooked. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you are listening to Love Maine Radio, show number 289, Maine Adaptive and Special Surfers, airing for the first time on Sunday, April 2nd, 2017. Maine is home to numerous venues for outdoor enjoyment. Our forests, woods, and waters provide opportunities for not only connecting with nature, but also for social, physical, and sometimes competitive pursuits. Today, we speak with leaders of two organizations that make these pursuits available to Mainers of all levels of physical capability. Barbara Schneider is the executive director, and Mark Stevens is a board member at Maine Adaptive Sports and Recreation. Nancy Boutet is the executive director of Special Surfers in Kennebunk. Thank you for joining us. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland, easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. Love Main Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at Aristel.com. Today it is my great pleasure to have with me Barbara Schneider and Mark Stevens. Barbara Schneider is the Executive Director of Maine Adaptive Sports and Recreation, and Mark Stevens is Vice President of the organization's Board of Directors. Maine Adaptive, based in Newry, is the largest year-round adaptive recreation program in the state of Maine for adults and children with physical disabilities. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. I really like this program. I like what it has to offer, not only the children, but also the adults of the state of Maine. Um, Tell me a little bit about its beginnings. Well, as the somewhat new executive director, what I know is the history, not personally, but by being part of the organization, but it was founded in 1982. 
a Portland orthopedic surgeon by the name of Kip Crothers had a patient who he believed would benefit from being involved in skiing. And he got in touch with Les Otten, who at the time was the owner and general manager of Sunday River, proposing to create a program for people with physical disabilities, at, at least starting with, with this young patient, and um, so that she could ski. He thought it would be good for her balance, for her uh, uh, general being able to be outside, her general health and well-being, and that was the way it started. Mark actually can give a good bit of history because his father became one of the early founders of the organization as well. Yeah, so um, my earliest uh, remembrance of being involved in Maine Adaptive, w at the time was Maine Handicap Skiing, but now it's been rebranded um, Maine Adaptive Sports because we do so much more than just skiing. Um, uh, I was conscripted at an early age. Um, I had just graduated from Bates College. I was on the race team, uh, ski race team up there. Um, and my father basically told me and several of my race uh, uh, ski team members that we were going to be doing the uh, uh, this skiathon, and that was in 1985, and and that was the first uh, skiathon, which uh, we're, is coming up here uh, shortly. But um, so um, the program has just kind of grown uh, from the early beginnings with Chip and Les, and there was another Charlie involved, Charlie Roscoe. Um, so there were really four founders, and um, it's just been an exciting to see the the growth of the program, and now we've expanded into uh, year-round programming. Uh, it's not just skiing. Um, we do uh, summer programming, which involves uh, biking, um, kayaking, um, geocaching, all sorts of different activities. So it's been really, really phenomenal to watch the, the organization's growth. So you mentioned two benefits, one being the um, outside nature, the connection to that, that you're able to foster and people who take part in this. And then the other is really getting to know oneself physically in a way that can sometimes be limited for people who have um, different abilities. So how, how, much do, how much science is there behind this? Well, th there's science in that our volunteers and most of our instruction is provided by a cadre of very dedicated volunteers go through training where we the staff and outside trainers provide some background on disabilities and how they may be affected by cold or by um, movement patterns and and so there is some science that we all have to learn um, to provide the product that we do, but the idea that 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 people with disabilities can benefit socially, physically, um, by exposure to sports. Um, there are so many examples in our program of of young people who will start skiing f with a device called a slider, for example, where they're which is kind of like a walker with skis on it, and they'll hold on to a slider. But over a season, they may begin to ski without holding on because they've developed some muscle tone or they've shown some improvement in how their balance operates and their proprioception gets better. So, you know, we don't operate as a therapeutic program in a hospital setting. We're a recreational program, but we try to understand what it is we have to do to tailor both equipment and the instructional process to the people who recreate with us.
And this is something that um, you've specifically decided that you're going to be helping children and adults. You're not just going to limit the age range. Right. We have we have children as young as four, um, and during the week, it's a really interesting mixture when you come to Sunday River, um, which operates a weekday program as well as a Sunday program. So there are there'll there'll be a lot of preschoolers and four, five, six-year-olds, and then there are folks who are much old, older on the other end of the spectrum, um, people who have had Parkinson's disease or incomplete spinal cord injuries or strokes. So it's it's really nice to see that intergenerational activity between young young kids coming to ski um, and older people. Some of them returning to a sport that they had done before, but because they have perhaps low vision or limitations need to have people with them and instructors to guide them. That's that's interesting. I had I had been aware that you dealt um, that you had people participating with different levels of ability, but I didn't realize that you had older adults who might have at one point had quote unquote normal abilities, but then have succumbed to whatever illness or infirmity that they've had. So um, when did that start to shift, or has that always been the case? I think it's always been that way. Um, I can remember early on some of our uh, some of our early athletes that came to us were um, had been you know, hurt in motorcycle accidents and things like that. And we have a, we have a large group of uh, what we call mono skiers or bucket skiers today. And, and um, they're very accomplished. And to watch these athletes move around on the mountain so freely um, when in their daily lives, um, you know, it's a struggle to, to get around. And then when they arrive with us, um, you know, they're out on the mountain just like any able-bodied skier. And actually some of them move probably better than, you know, 80% of the ski population that's out there today. It's just phenomenal to watch. So... It must have been interesting for you, um, Mark, as someone who has raced. So you were in a different, you were in skiing in a, in a very different environment. You were in a competitive environment. Everything was kind of keyed towards going fast. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, how did your mindset shift when you started working with Main Adaptive? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, I still view all of our participants as, as real, as athletes. And, and um, I think everybody has inside them, you know, this some sort of athlete, whether it's super competitive or, or, or just subtly competitive. Um, we actually have a race team um, of, of kids today that um, compete both in uh, disabled races um, uh, that are geared towards um, various, uh, various injuries that they have, as well as some of these uh, athletes actually compete against able-bodied um, athletes um, direct up and do very well. Um, so I, that's the part that I just I really get a kick out of is is watching, you know, those athletes move up through our program. Um, some of them um, come to us had never skied before, and then they progress through our volunteer core and then move on to our race team and do very well at, even at the national level. I mean, we've had a, an athlete. We've actually had two athletes go on to um, compete in the Paralympic Games. Um, so um, it's pretty exciting for me as a as an ex racer, and I still race a little bit. Um, Try to try to keep my body together, but um, it's exciting for me to watch um, these types of, of athletes come through the program and know that the the dollars that we've raised and and the opportunities we've afforded them allow them to get out and get these same <coughs> excuse me opportunities that um, regular able-bodied athletes get every day. 
And I was going to say, one of the, when we were talking about the goals of the program, and whether it's wellness, whether it's socialization, whether it's, it's giving people appropriate risks to challenge themselves with, mm-hmm. one of the barriers to accessing recreation for people with physical disabilities, it's not just having the physical space that's accessible um, or places to park that are closer to lodges, it's the economic barrier. The equipment is particularly expensive. Um, the buckets that Mark was talking about run about five to six thousand dollars. So it's not the kind of um, ski gear that someone can easily purchase. So by having it and providing that free of charge and providing the instruction free of charge, we eliminate a barrier to access. So we are very unique in Maine and very unique across the country in that we've had phenomenal support over our 35 years from Sunday River that's enabled us to put people out on the snow, volunteers and participants, without charging for lift tickets, without charging for lessons. And that's that's a phenomenal thing. And for, for families who have additional costs because they have children with disabilities, for folks on fixed income, that's made a big difference. How many people does your program um, help every year? It's close to about 500, winter and summer. Uh, Some people will come because they're visiting Maine for a week and they'll spend a week with us um, skiing. We'd love to encourage more of that in the summers too and we're starting to see that. But, um, and other people will come three or four times a season. We have a bus that comes from Portland, generously um, donated to us um, uh, by um, Northeast um, Ambulance Services, and that bus will um, pick people up at the Iris Networks uh, Housing Center in Portland, and others will come there, and all these folks will come on Thursday to Sunday River, and they'll ski, not necessarily every week, but will alternate who gets to come with the bus and folks will have the opportunity to ski a couple times a year. How many people have you served over the entirety of the 35 years? Wow that's a great question. Um, (coughs) You know it's got to be in the thousands. Uh, It has I mean if we if we're at about four to five hundred a year um, I'd say it's probably a good I think it's probably up to it could be up to 15 12 12,000 just thinking the numbers and thinking the the years Um, our ski program expanded from Sunday River to Sugarloaf so we are there on weekends and some Fridays Um, we are also every once in a while we'll do a little bit of programming at Camden Snowbowl and at Black Mountain in Rumford we do Nordic programming in the winter both at Pineland Farms um, and the new Bethel Village Trail System that is operating out of the Bethel Inn. Several nonprofits in Bethel have come together to take over those operations for a community trail network, and we do Nordic skiing and snowshoeing in Bethel on Fridays. Mark, you mentioned also that summer was an important part of Maine Adaptive. Now, where is your programming located in the summertime? Well, it's it's a that's a great question because we we're all over the state. Um, we have a we have a van, um, and we also have a trailer, and we can take equipment pretty much to a bunch of different venues. But we program our bicycling happens here in at Back Cove. 
Um, we do take uh, day trips, uh, not day trips, but weekend trips up to Acadia. Um, so there's some pretty exciting venues that we go to. We also um, do kayaking up on Rang Pond as well as, um, trying to think of the other venues where we... Well, we'll do um, an ocean kayak right. once a year out of um, Harps Well. We will um, do some paddling this summer closer to Bethel in an attempt to engage the community there and folks that may come to Bethel for summer recreation. Uh, we'll do some river paddles. Um, there is the Androscoggin Council, the Androscoggin Watershed Council does a source to sea paddle every summer from the beginnings of the Androscoggin at Lake Umbagog all the way down to Mary Meeting Bay. And so we'll take our adaptive paddlers on one of those river sections to paddle along with the folks that um, are paddling for the day. So that's a, a way to integrate adaptive programming with regular recreators. And that's always a fun event too. This must cost quite a lot of money. How, how much does it cost per year to operate Main Adaptive? And how much does it usually break down to a, a per participant? Well, our operating budget varies between about 600 and 750,000 Give or take. Give or take. Yep. Um, we, the cost per participant is probably something we haven't, I haven't figured out, but we, we look at what our numbers are and where we think we can go grow our programming. Um, we have, as Mark talked about earlier, the Skiathon raises about half of our operating budget between three hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand. Uh, we do an annual campaign. We do a lot of grant writing where we're looking to private foundations, to corporate sponsors, um, and we've had tremendously good success with that. We're interesting in that we don't take any direct federal funds or state funds, so we're not applying for those governmental grants that have a lot of oversight and infrastructure requirements. Every once in a while a foundation may get federal funds that they'll pass through in a grant to us. But So it, it, it is definitely an expense um, and we're always looking for opportunities to both raise awareness and raise funds as all main nonprofits are doing now. But we're fortunate. We have longtime committed individuals, longtime committed corporate sponsors um, that really have helped us over the years. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't think we could not emphasize enough uh, Sunday Rivers cooperation um, without their in-kind support of lift tickets and I mean just everything that they do for us up there. Uh, they've been a phenomenal partner from the beginning and um, you know, just really fortunate to have that relationship and, and to be where we are. We're located um, right Slopeside. Our building is located Slopeside on the Sundance Learning Center, which has a um, what they call a magic carpet, which is a surface lift. And, um, you know, we just literally, our athletes just walk out of the building and they're, they're on the hill and off they go. And uh, it, you couldn't ask for a better setup or a better partner than, than Sunday River has been. And, and the last about 10, 12 years, 15 years, we've developed the same uh, real relationship with Sugarloaf and <clears throat> actually at Sugarloaf we don't have a separate building we actually um, operate mainstream right out of the base lodge so our athletes participants 
get booted up and suited up and out they go with uh, with the general population and so that's actually a very exciting model for us just because that's really our ultimate goal is to mainstream our participants and athletes and and not separate them um, so that um, when they when they head out they're heading out with exactly the just like you and I um, and so it's that's really a phenomenal thing to see it and it's it's in so many ways the the mountains are are great I'll give a couple of examples we had a February 18th Saturday um, we had a race where we invited athletes from adaptive programs in New England and we had the hill space provided to us we had the comps and events department set our course we took over the race arena <coughs> that morning uh, we you know our athletes came down and were announced um, there were visually impaired athletes there were athletes with cognitive disabilities in a in what's called a Mills Cup competition the physical disability athletes compete in a Diana Golden series competition and we had the shuttle buses to take the family members from our building at the Southridge Lodge. The resort's shuttles took the spectators to Barker. That was great. Um, at the end of the season up at Sugarloaf, they're going to be um, on U.S. Nationals, and we're going to be um, able to present medals to some of the athletes in one of the days of competition be on behalf of Maine Adaptive just to recognize us as part of the Sugarloaf community and so these opportunities are great they help us build exposure um, we are coming up fairly soon um, is a uh, world pro ski tour that's coming back to Sunday River and uh, that event will generate some interesting buzz and excitement at Sunday River and um, we helped bring that organization there and we're going to be the nonprofit featured partner um, for that event so it's really fun to be connected to these resorts and help them by bringing families to the mountain and they certainly help us by providing us with hill space and tickets and and um, all the you know people from food and beverage who help cater our ski-a-thon to the lift operators who are so conscientious about loading our bucket skiers on. It's, it's really a great relationship. It sounds like you also, in addition to having people who help support financially your organization by doing the ski-a-thon or by um, donating and in-kind, you also have people who volunteer regularly in the program. What does that look like? Well, the volunteer uh, population, um, we couldn't do what we do today um, for the price of what we do it without the volunteer um, uh, staff that we have. I mean, they're just amazing. They basically do whatever it is that needs to be done, um, whether it's um, giving up vacation time to come and work with these athletes. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty awe-inspiring to, to watch um, how that all works. And we've had volunteers that have been with us 25 years, you know, 20, 25 years coming back um, year after year, uh, providing the, this, this, the instruction and the, and the athletic, you know, help to get the, get our skiers out there on the hill. And, and, and we have a lot of volunteers that actually volunteer in the summertime as well. And so we've got a lot of crossover there and there's, you know, skiing and biking and that sort of thing. It's, it's kind of those two sports that kind of dovetail each other from season to season. And so we see, uh, we see the uh, volunteer pool um, shifting from 
uh, uh, winter to, to summer. And I have north of 400 uh, volunteers today um, that, that come in and help us uh, do what it is we do. And in addition to that, we, we've been fortunate to have some interns come in from uh, UNE um, down there in, in some of the uh, uh, programs that University of New England offers. Um, and so we're always open to finding people that, you know, from the various colleges that want to come in and may perhaps do some clinical work with us or anything like that. We're very open to uh, people coming in and, and if there's anybody out there that would like to come volunteer, um, you know, mainadaptive.org, put a plug in for it right now, um, come to the website, um, give us a call. Um, love to have you um, come help us out, and and I think once you're involved in the in the volunteer community, um, just the buzz from it, um, you know the just the whole you just feel better about yourself as a as a person once you come through the main adaptive doors. It is a it's a tremendously I mean we talk about the benefit um, the socialization benefit for our participants the exposure to the outdoors our volunteers span the spectrum in age too. I mean we we have a junior volunteer program and and then we have um, some medical students from UNE who volunteer. We have some we have a great a relationship with Gould Academy which um, is located in Bethel. Every student at Gould has to spend time on snow. Some are competitive athletes, some are on the prep team, some participate in ski patrol, or some work in the ski school teaching community groups, but we have this amazing group this year of four students whose time on snow every day but Friday is spent with us, and that's been great. They bring a lot of energy, um, and it it livens up our volunteer pool a little bit. Um, socially, I think our volunteering is important for our volunteers. For many of them, they're retirees. They may have had a lifetime of skiing. Many are instructors from, from who have worked at Saddleback when they were younger or worked at Lost Valley or were on the staff at the ski school at Sunday River or Sugarloaf. And this is a home for them. So it's really a it, it's really a nice community of participants, of volunteers, and it it's great. I, I, I have been there at Mean Adaptive only since October of 2015, and I spent some time um, in the ski school and have my instructor certifications, and I have always been a child's coach, and I've started to do more training for our volunteers, and I have to say there's some amazing skiers who, who have know even in a more advanced age of skiing have all those fundamental moves that they're just beautiful skiers you know they may not take the risks that young ski instructors take but they know their stuff and we are very committed to making sure through our training that we give all our instructors the skills they need in all the sports we set up ACA paddling um, instruction courses to get people certified we write grants to send people through wilderness first aid classes. We scholarship our volunteers to do Professional Ski Instructors of America certification exams and trainings. So that's very important and it shows because the quality is pretty good in our, very good in our instruction. Well, it's been a pleasure to spend time speaking with each of you today. I've been talking with Barbara Schneider, who is the Executive Director of Maine Adoptive Sports and Recreation, and Mark Stevens, who is Vice President of the organization's Board of Directors. 
I really appreciate the work that you're doing and have been doing as an organization for 35 years now. I'm sure that we're going to be able to continue to do this for many more years to come. People who are interested can go to our show notes page and we'll redirect to your website. Um, I hope people will do some ski-a-thon fundraising, some volunteering. It sounds like really there's, there's a place for anyone who's interested in being involved. So thank you, Barbara and Mark, for coming in today. Thanks for having us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by The Front Room, The Corner Room, The Grill Room, and Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room. Chef Harding Lee Smith's restaurants where atmosphere, great service, and palate-pleasing options are available to suit any culinary mood. For more information, go to theroomsportland.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is Portland's largest gallery and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space. The current show schedule includes Nancy Simmons, Elizabeth Hoy, and many more. For complete show details, please visit our website, artcollectormaine.com. Today it is my great pleasure to have with me Nancy Boutet, who is the Executive Director of Special Surfers. She's been bringing volunteers and special needs children and their families together for some good, clean fun, sharing the surf stoke at Kennybunk's Gooch's Beach for over a decade. Nancy's boundless energy is only surpassed by her passion for special surfers. Thanks so much for having this conversation with me today. My pleasure. So Nancy, obviously surfing is important to you because you also um, have had this affiliation with Aquaholics Surf Shop. Why did you first get interested in surfing? Oh boy. Um, Our son wanted a surfboard for his middle school graduation and when he got into it, we got into it. We were into bodyboarding for a while, and it just seemed like a natural progression. And are you originally from Maine? I'm from New Hampshire, and then when I was in high school, I moved to California, and I stayed in California for a while, and then I came home to New Hampshire and visited Maine and met my husband when I was 17, and the rest is history. Now, do I understand that you actually went to Hollywood at at the age of 16 and to um, have an affiliation with your husband's rock band? I have a, an affiliation from my with my husband from meeting him in Maine. Oh, from meeting him in Maine. Yes, in Old Orchard Beach at the pier, actually. Excellent. So was he the one that was actually out in California? No, I was living out there with my sister and my brother-in-law and his entire band in a little three-bedroom house in downtown Hollywood. And it was nothing short of very interesting. So did this influence um, in any way your your interest in the ocean or your interest eventually in learning how to surf? Not really, actually. I've played a lot of beach volleyball and learned to surf both in Maine and I never did either one in California. I think I surfed once at a trade um, seminar in California a few years ago, and that was less than exciting, too. There's too many people out there for me. I can't, I can't hardly go there anymore. So you spend part of the year here in Maine and part of the year elsewhere. Yes. <laughs> I'm a little late for this interview because I was out surfing. I am living in Costa Rica in the winter, and 
lucky enough to be in an oceanfront home with some good surf breaks very close by. So I had my husband run me up to the break with my surfboard on his motorcycle, and then I just walked back. It's about a mile from our house to the where the waves are good. So you have found something in surfing that you that so appealed to you that you decided that you were going to do this program for special surfers. Yeah, I think I um, can relate to these kids. I'm pretty uh, hyperactive, and I have a short attention span, and um, I find that surfing requires a lot of focus, and it's really great for these kids because it really does get them in a place where they feel comfortable and they kind of get into the zone and they feel successful and it demands all of your attention. You started Aquaholic Surf Shop in 2002 and it was really only a year later that you began getting interested in working with kids who have special needs. Right. It's the, the surfing for special needs kids was um, kind of a new concept at the time and a good friend of mine was working with a lot of kids on the spectrum, autism, Asperger spectrum. And she asked me if I would take a few kids out surfing, and I said yes, and I enlisted my husband and our son, and we took three kids out the first year, and then the next year we started expanding the program right away, and we went from three to 23 to, gosh, we've had up to 95 kids, and about 230 volunteers and once you do it you're pretty hooked if you're a kid or a volunteer and the parents um, have as much fun as the kids and we have as much fun as the kids and everybody has a blast. And this is something that you do um, once a month? It is on the third Tuesday of June, July and August. It's always the third Tuesday, that's how I remember it. And it's a free program. We have never charged for this program. Um, we beg, borrow, and steal surfboards from anywhere we can get them. They have to be softboards, so we have a, try to maintain a level of safety. Um, we need wetsuits because the water's always cold. So we put almost every kid in a wetsuit. Some kids can't quite cope with putting on and taking off a wetsuit. But for the most part, the kids love wearing a wetsuit, so it works out great, but we're a little bit short on equipment. And initially, when you were doing this, because you had Aquaholics, um, the surf shop in Kennebunk, you were able to bring a lot of rental equipment um, from there to the Special Surfers program. That's right. When, when we owned Aquaholics, we used to use every bit of equipment we had. We had over 45 regular surfboards and about a dozen stand-up paddle boards and oh boy about 120 wetsuits and we used to bring everything down to the beach but now I can't exactly expect people to forego that rental income so they allocate some surfboards and we have to go according to what we think we can get for borrowed equipment and we do have some equipment through the the program and we grow it every year but we are nowhere near our 50 boards we need for just the kids that are already on the list and we have a wait list I think the wait list is about 35 kids for each night 
of the year this year, and that's 35 kids on the spectrum or with, you know, their ambulatory, they can control their body muscles and things like that. And then we have six kids that we strap into beach chairs on stand-up paddle boards and take them out and rock their world. So those are kids usually in wheelchairs or with mobility issues, people who walk with crutches and things like that. So um, we are kind of stressed for equipment, so hopefully we'll be able to borrow or buy what we're going to need. You have a fundraiser that's going to be um, coming up in March with Bayside Bowl. Right. And uh, that's a, a thing where we have a bunch of captains and teams, and on those teams they are raising money as teams to compete against each other, which really is more of a fun fundraiser than a competitive fundraiser. And uh, we have a bunch of people running a bunch of fun pro- fundraising programs, and that one's being run by Tom Reynolds and... Holly St. Ange from Portland, and I guess they're both into bowling. I, I don't do much bowling myself, but it sounds like it's going to be a blast. So you have a lot of people in the area that support your program. You've had up to 230 volunteers in, in one night that you said. How many volunteers have you had over the course of this program? Oof. Oh, boy, probably a couple thousand um, usually surfers are a little hard to nail down as far as a schedule. So as we get closer to the evening that we're going to need these people, I end up sending a bunch of emails and calling everybody I know and trying to get them to sign up and tell us that they're going to be there. A lot of people tend to just show up and not register, which is kind of hard to plan for when you have... you need one experienced surfer and then one person to kind of direct traffic per kid. So you need a an experienced surfer to push the kid and help the kid catch a wave. And then you need a helper that grabs the kid when they get to shore and brings them back out to the surfer because with a 100 kids in the water, it tends to be a little bit of mayhem and you need to keep them going in a straight line and focused on what they're doing and get them as many rides as you can. So that's a lot of volunteers and (laughs) it's a little bit of a zoo when it comes right down to it. Where do your volunteers come from? Oh boy, we get people come, I have someone that comes up from Connecticut just to volunteer and then he drives home. Sometimes he stays in a hotel overnight, but he drives up for the event helps out for the event. He usually donates a board for the event, and then he drives home. Um, We get kids that come all the way from, we've had from Toronto and Calais and Connecticut, New Hampshire, Vermont. It's a program that the kids look forward to, the parents look forward to, the volunteers look forward to it. It's a win-win situation. When I was there last August, I met a volunteer who I believe was from Australia or New Zealand. <laughs> Probably both. Um, in Australia, one of my friends was up from Sydney, and um, she was here in August. She comes up pretty regularly, and she 
she planned her trip so that she would be there in August. I think she's been there for one other event, too. And um, she's in public service in Australia, and this was just right up her alley, and she loved it. Yeah, I believe she told me she is a police officer. Yes, she is an anti-terrorism agent in Sydney. So for people who are interested in volunteering, they, they you don't necessarily need to be a surfer, per se. No, you can... You can. There are so many jobs we have. We have dry land jobs. We have administrative jobs. We have fundraising jobs. We have surfer jobs, and we have jobs for people who want to get in the water and interact with the kids but don't know how to surf. So really, surfing is it's a big part of it in the logistics of it all, but it's a small part of it in the volunteerism. When I was there, I was watching a, a young man. Actually, he, I call him a young man. I think he's around my age, actually, and he has been doing this for a while. He's on a he was on a um, in a wheelchair on a special surfboard, and I think there were six to eight people who were helping um, bring the surfboard into shore. We call that the gauntlet. Um, we want to keep those kids upright people and kids um you're probably talking about brian Bennett. he's 40 well he's probably 42 now um he has been in a wheelchair all his life he's nonverbal, and if you saw him going down the sidewalk with his aide you would think that there wasn't much going on um he's very intelligent he is a college graduate he's sent me some very eloquent emails thanking us for the program um we try to keep those kids upright because they're not supposed to go underwater, although we have dumped a few, <laughs> and it has not been serious as of yet, but we have a training program going into place, and we have a lot of volunteers for the kids on the wheelchairs trying to keep them going in a straight line, and that usually keeps them upright. We have pontoons on their boards. We do everything we can to keep them from dunking under, but sometimes they dunk, and some of the kids, dunking under is not a problem. We have a girl named Ashley Gray who has her own TV program in Biddeford. She dumped a bunch of times, and her grandmother told us we were doing too good of a job because she couldn't get a picture of her upside down because she thought that would be pretty funny. So there doesn't seem to be any fear. No. Um, I don't know. I guess you could be afraid of being underwater, but when every day is spent in a wheelchair, I would think that a little bit of excitement would be a good part of your life. This is held at Gooch's Beach in Kennebunk. And when I was there, I noticed that you had a lot of community support. There were people that were standing watching the program, and um, it seemed like a pretty appreciative crowd. Oh, the people in Kennebunk have been great. The government has been great. The community's great. I mean, when we have that many people at the beach, you got to think about how many cars are down there parking. And for years, I used to go put little notes on people's, doors and mailboxes and in their yards and stuff saying sorry you know we're gonna we're definitely gonna inundate you but I've never had any complaints from anybody and I'm sure it has been an imposition on some people we get people from the dog walking 
monitors to the town manager and the assistant manager and the parks and rec director. Everybody is very supportive. It's really great to see that everybody is so into the community spirit that this brings up. You've been doing this for more than 10 years now. So what lessons have you learned? Never assume anything. Um, Some of the kids... When I, before this program started, I used to think that if I saw a kid melting down in the grocery store or somewhere, I thought maybe they were bratty. And now I realize that a lot of people are just overwhelmed when they get too much stimulation or when they've been pushed beyond their limit. I've gotten a lot more um, accepting of different behaviors from different people, and I've learned not to assume anything. Like Brian Bennett, when he sent me such a wonderful email, I realized that I had assumed that he was non-communicative because he didn't have anything in there, but he's quite communicative and he uses his computer to do it. I can't even imagine not being able to communicate what's in my mind to someone that I would meet on the street, and these people are amazing individuals, and they find a way. You currently are offering this program uh, once a month in the summer. Have you ever considered expanding it and offering it more frequently? Yeah, we'd love to do that, but there's a lot involved. It's it's a lot to put together, and it's we would need more equipment, and I think we just need to be financially a little bit ahead of where we are now because... It's really a lot of work, a lot of energy, and it's a lot to ask of the volunteers that help. You know, you figure our, especially our administrative volunteers put a lot of work into that one night each month, and to ask them to do it more times a month would be almost like asking them to take on another part-time job. Your hope is to um, be able to bring kids in off the waiting list. You said that you have 56 kids in the regular slots, and then you have 35 more out there who are waiting to join the program? Right, and that 35 is just as of yesterday when I checked the list. Um, We leave that open, and what we do is we can look at the date that you've signed up, and in the past... I have usually, when the event gets closer, I just tell people to come on down and we'll figure it out. But now we have an official board with official rules and official insurance and all kinds of regulations and all that kind of stuff. So now I have people that I have to bring into these decisions and stuff. So it's going to depend on how much equipment we have and... It's going to be sad, but I think there are going to be some people that are not going to be able to come because we won't have the resources to tell them to come on down. So your goal would be to raise enough money to be able to continue to keep this free for everybody who's involved and also bring more people in. That would be great, and I don't think I would have any trouble getting the number of volunteers we need to to handle the kids when we get more kids in the program just because once someone has come they tell everybody how much fun it is and it's just 
a magical experience for anybody that comes to it. The people that watch go crazy. The people that participate go crazy. The parents go crazy. It would be great if we could take more kids. It's going to take a, a lot more equipment to expand the program as it is. We have about 20 boards that we own and about 22 wetsuits and some of those are just wetsuits that were donated and the sizes are not exactly something that's very popular but when you think about the fact that even if you just stick to the kids that are on the regular registration list we have to have a couple of wetsuits for each kid to make sure we have wetsuits to fit everybody so we need more than 50 wetsuits we need absolutely need 50 boards for the kids on that program and then three more boards for the kids in the wheelchairs because we do two um, time slots for that just because there's no way we could put six kids on wheelchairs out there and have core group of 36. We call that special ops and then we have people standing in a line all the way to shore trying to keep the boards going straight. So it's a lot of people. We pretty much fill that bay at Gooch's Beach. The day that I went, it was also not great weather, but you didn't want to cancel it because this is something that everyone looks forward to for the entire summer. Right. And to for everybody to rearrange their schedule, that's about 300 people, not including the parents of the kids that you want to try to reschedule and rearrange and everything. It just, we I don't think we could make it work. And we just go and plan on it. And then if we get thunder and lightning, that's the only thing that holds us back. We do it in rain, drizzle, everything like that. And I can tell you, nobody even notices. You're already getting wet. You know, the people standing around watching might be getting wet. A lot of them bring umbrellas, but everybody has a great time whether it's raining, drizzling, or sunny. If it's sunny, everybody shows up. Some of the kids on the spectrum won't come if it looks like rain or if it looks like weird weather just because that's one of their triggers. So we just run it, plan it, run it, and if we gotta leave, we gotta leave. Is there any sort of education that you do with volunteers around some of the special needs that these uh, children and adults have? We're putting together a program right now. Um, we have uh, a few people on the board who are professionals. One is a medical director for the Big Wave Surf Tour. One is a neurologist. One is an occupational therapist, and they are all concerned about our safety so I have a program that I've used for surf lessons through the years through aquaholics surf lessons we've done tons of lessons for that so we're going to integrate some safety procedures from that and from Terry Farrell our medical director Tom Reynolds our neurologist and Holly St. Ange our occupational therapist and we will probably get some video made up and you know some literature and we'll try to get that out to all the volunteers so we can try to make it we can keep our record of safety because we've had an amazing run and we've been very fortunate 
How much do your volunteers understand about kids who are on the spectrum? Uh, we try to discuss that before the event. Usually I stand up on my truck and try to yell to all the volunteers that are working with the kids that are not mobility challenged. Um, I think a lot of people come into it not knowing what to expect and when you connect one-on-one -on -one with these kids you learn so much. You learn so much about yourself, you learn so much about the world, you learn so much about these kids. I think it doesn't take long for you to figure it out. There are a few key things that you want people to know when you're um, working with kids on the spectrum and a lot of it is just has to do with communication and how to communicate with them. They're very literal, so you got to be very clear in your direction with them. And some of it is you just got to let them go. I tell people I'm not worried about if they stand up, if they surf, whatever, as long as they're having fun. That's what it's all about. And what percentage would you estimate are do you have of kids who are on the spectrum versus... Um or who have Asperger's versus other types of um, special needs? Um, we have kids that have every kind of diagnosis. We have kids that have multiple diagnosis diagnoses. Uh, it's it, we don't we don't um, have any requirements anymore. If you feel like your kid has special needs and they belong in the program, if your doctor says it's okay, we take them. We have kids with very rare syndromes. We have kids with Down syndrome. We have, most of the kids are on the spectrum. And they have, a lot of the kids have multiple, multiple diagnoses. And some of the kids, you would never know that they had any kind of diagnosis unless you spent a few minutes with them or an hour with them or a couple hours with them. Some kids you could never tell. But we just want everybody to come and have a good time and feel like they're rocking the world. What is it about surfing that has really made this so important for the kids and adults that take part in this program? What is it about the water and the experience um, I think the fact that it completely demands their attention on every level and it's every second their mind is engaged, there's the movement of the water, the movement of the board, their focus on being balanced, everything moving so fast. Um, they They can't be distracted. They are so focused and I think that is kind of a relief for them to have just one thing for their mind to be tunnel vision, paying attention, enjoying, and watching happen all around them. Well, I encourage people to learn more about Special Surfers. We're going to have an article about your organization in Maine Magazine, so people can read about that there. And also, we'll put a link on our note show notes page for the radio show. I've been speaking with Nancy Boutet, who is the executive director of Special Surfers and who has been bringing volunteers and special needs children and their families together for good, clean fun, sharing the surf stoke at Kenny Bunks Gooch's Beach for over a decade. Thank you so much for um, having this conversation with me today and for all the work that you're doing with all this, um, putting all this positivity out into the world. Well, thank you for calling and thanks for having us and 
Thanks for spreading the good word. You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 289, Maine Adaptive and Special Surfers. Our guests have included Barbara Schneider, Mark Stevens, and Nancy Boutet. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see our Love, Maine Radio photos on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belayo. I hope that you have enjoyed our Maine Adaptive and Special Surfers show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Berlin City Honda, The Rooms by Harding Lee Smith, Maine Magazine, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Paul Koenig. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasson. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Lisa Belisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com. Get up.
Too much for 